0: You're listening to the Revolution Podcast. Join us as we bust myths and challenge common assumptions, helping you to revolutionize your rooster experience. So today we'd like to talk about normal, healthy conflict and competition between roosters and how it differs from the dangerous and sometimes deadly fighting we all worry about, as well as how to use this critical information when integrating new birds into a flock. But before we get too deep into the various behaviors you might see, I think it's really important to address the myth that all roosters are just naturally geared to want to kill any other rooster they come across. Is that true?
1: It can be in very specific cases, um, but for the vast majority of roosters, no, couldn't be farther from the truth. The reason that myth really got started is because roosters have historically been used in fighting, and that is um, a little bit, I guess you could say, kind of like dogs like pit bulls, you know, that have been bred and raised to be guard dogs, <clears throat> and those very specific situations in which they're conditioned to have these aggressive tendencies towards any others of their species or any other individuals in general that sort of trickles over and starts to mistakenly get applied to the species at large. And so it is worth giving the disclaimer that with breeds like, for instance, uh, game birds, Old English game birds, not the Bantam variety, but the full size variety, there is a strong tendency for them to be unable to get along with other males. If you're in a situation where you're rescuing roosters that have a history of being used in fighting, they are very likely not to be able to ever be housed with other roosters. But apart from those situations, in most cases, roosters are able to get along perfectly fine under the right circumstances and with the right supports. What really throws some keepers for a loop is just the fact that roosters fight and establish that pecking order in a much bigger way and very differently than hens do. It really is the same kind of social dynamic at play. It's just going to look a lot scarier to humans. And of course, because of the way they interact, there is a bit more danger of unintentional injuries being incurred.
0: So let's just get started with, you know, what the worst case scenario might be, or what the, the behaviors that are actually dangerous and, you know, need to be addressed immediately.
1: Okay, and that's actually an easy one, um, because in cases where roosters are actually out for blood and they are actually looking to harm another flock member, it's going to be a very different type of fight um, than what we see when it's just kind of a social disagreement. Typically, the biggest red flag is going to be that they do not allow the other bird to forfeit. That's kind of our litmus test, you know, for our birds is that if they're willing to bow out and they are uh, the winner is willing to allow the other bird to bow out of that interaction, odds are pretty good that everything is actually being handled in a perfectly normal and appropriate way.
0: Now that doesn't mean that you know there won't be some chasing, you know, after the 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 fight ends. Um, we've seen it many times before that you know the. Head Roo that's defending his position will win the fight and the other bird will run away and he'll do, you know, maybe one or two quick chases, you know, and make sure that that bird is still Um, conceding defeat. And once he sees that the other bird runs away a few times, then he's done and they're back to normal.
1: Right. And this is something that you know really illustrates the fact that when they do these things, um, it unfortunately looks like a thing that a human might do if they were trying to harm or be mean. Um, And that's something we really need to be careful not to project human motives onto them because the way that they engage in these things is often very much by design. There is something to be settled, there is a point to be made, and there are sort of rules of engagement. Um, So something like chasing off the loser, that is not necessarily an indication they aren't willing to let it go. They're really just sort of driving the point home when they do this. Where there are concerns is if they continue, get them into a corner, continue trying to kick and peck and attack them, won't let that other bird flee. Um, Something like a four or five second chase just to make the point isn't something that I personally would have concern about. Um, So maybe the best example really is that a rooster is going to engage in behavior that looks like attacking in two situations. One of those is to intimidate a rival or another flock member and to try to convince them that they are the tougher bird and that the other boy needs to defer to them and kind of settle for a lower position. The other is when they feel like there really is a threat that needs to be eliminated. And so fortunately, we have plenty of examples we can look to of the way that roosters behave in the face of a true threat.
0: I hope it doesn't interrupt too much, but I think there's a third um, a third situation there, where depending on the time of day, um, even a rooster lower on the pecking order can lose his self-control and attempt, you know, a, a mount to to mate, <laughs> you know, even another rooster, and um, that can often look very aggressive, you know, because the they grab feathers or combs or wattles to to mount, and then you know the other bird screams and squeals and it looks like they're being attacked but that's it's really not an aggressive move
1: definitely so yeah we're talking in the situation of actual attacks and you know in the same way that I think we've said before that the only things that really should be regarded as a true attack would be things like flogging kicking and flaring biting is very very unlikely to actually be an attack there's multiple different things they could be doing with that but it's not in the same category so if they come up and they grab another flock member or another rooster, you know, neck feathers and try to climb onto them, uh, odds are very, very good that as much as the other rooster is going to protest that and dislike it, they're actually not out to be aggressive at all or to cause any real harm. So coming back to the two examples of trying to establish social order and reinforce position versus actually trying to eliminate a threat. If you watch a rooster responding to a hawk, they are going to be just no holds barred, full tilt on the attack. There are no pauses, there's no checking in, there's no real tentative engagement there. It is full force, relentless, because they really are trying to absolutely demolish um, that intruder so this is the same way that they would react to a rooster who they see as a threat to their flock or someone who's trying to come in and get rid of them take their girls Again, usually it's going to be more of a question of just who's going to be in charge. They don't actually have a problem with that other rooster being part of the flock. And this goes especially, you know, uh, strongly if they've been raised together. So when we talk about a rooster coming in as a threat to the flock, we would mean more like in nature where this is a foreign rooster or maybe a neighbor's rooster has come over into the yard and tried to make a move on one of the girls. You know, this would really need to be a bird that that is not part of the social order at all, someone that they're completely unfamiliar with and that they distrust the intentions of. This is very rare actually within flocks that know each other and were raised together. But what we see often is we see things like, you know, when something, just a minor disagreement or miscommunication comes up and they'll sort of stand off, they'll dig in, flare their necks and then go into kind of a kicking match And this is much more like what we see in things like human sports, like, you know, boxing or mixed martial arts, where there is a goal in place and it is not to harm each other. It's to win, but it's not to actually hurt. And the way that we can see this both in human you know combat sports and in rooster pecking order change ups is that there are those moments of checking in. They'll exchange a few kicks but then typically they're going to freeze, they're going to both flare, they're going to give a minute to see if either one of them is ready to forfeit and then they'll go back at it. And this is critical because it indicates to us that both of those birds are willing to be done. If they weren't they wouldn't give those pauses It's also actually really interesting to consider how often a rooster will flare at their keeper before attacking or mid-attack, pause, and flare before resuming those kicks. And it seems to indicate the same thing, that they really are just wanting something to be addressed or resolved, and they're giving these opportunities for it to be. And if it is, if we can identify what the problem is and address it for them, there's a very good chance that they would be willing to walk away and let it go with us, too. So that's a really major thing that I think is important to look for is are they actually purposefully creating these spaces for one or the other of them to exit the interaction?
0: Definitely. Now, where this gets really tricky is if, you know, you care about your birds, if they're at all on the spectrum of pet animal to you, then you definitely want to do what you can to avoid any... Lasting damage, any injury that's going to cause a major problem for for anyone, and sometimes even when they don't mean to hurt or kill each other, um, that is something that can happen in these competitions. Um, and so, it really helps to be present. It helps to have eyes on them, you know, as often as you can, whether that's via a security camera or you know, window from your house, or and just keep an eye on how. How much it's escalating, you know, if one of the birds is taking kicks, but still not, you know, um, admitting defeat, um, at a certain point, it could be a good idea to break them up anyway, so that he doesn't keep pushing it, you know, to the point of no return.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and the important thing here, you know, in those kinds of situations is really just to have the right framing because it is a tricky balance. And it's something that I think a lot of keepers are sort of blindsided by and don't quite know how to respond to when it first comes up. Um, typically, we go into setting up flocks, hoping that everyone will just accept each other and remain peaceful. And the bottom line is within a bachelor flock in particular, there are always going to be these pecking order change-ups. There's always going to be kind of back and forth contest. They'll go for a time getting along perfectly fine. And then someone will kind of want to test the waters. And this is normal. So what we don't want to do is panic and immediately try to separate or stop them because it is something they need to work through. Mm.
0: Just to clarify, just so we don't set the wrong expectation, you know, the pecking order change-ups do not occur all the time. When we say that, there are pecking order disputes or there are annoyances or grievances that are communicated in, you know, in those ways, pecking or kicking or, you know, brief fights, brief competitions, but they're not really the, the full-blown pecking order change-up competitions. That, as far as we have seen, only happens about once a year.
1: Right. So saying always, that just would indicate like in every bachelor flock, it is not going to be realistic to expect that that first um, settling period happens, a headroo is decided, and then nothing ever changes within that flock from there. Um, even if a headroo does win that initial uh, dispute or contest and come out victorious, he's not very likely at all to just hold that title forever. Um, Now it's not going to be like every other day, you know, that this is coming up. But when there is a real packing order change up, it can absolutely be the case that there is a period of much more frequent conflict for a day. And then over the next couple of days, things seem to be settling down and resolving and then it sort of gets renewed. Um, There seems to be kind of a a settling period after a winner seems to have been decided and during that time the boy or boys who have lost are expected to give him his space expected not to step out of line and expect expected to continuously indicate their willingness to be in that lower position so everything can be trending well for a couple of days and then one of those lower boys just kind of gets a wild and decides to give it a bit of a try again, and it looks like it all goes back to square one. Um, This is normal too, so it's just very hard to see those kinds of actions, any kinds of kicks or fights or chases, and not panic. It's very commonly mistaken as an indicator that those birds cannot get along. But in actuality, it's a very normal thing that just takes some mitigation and some support to get them through. Uh, We've had plenty of moments in our flock like that, and they are perfectly peaceful today. It, It ebbs and flows, and it kind of goes in waves. And that's just something to be prepared for. It's not necessarily a problem. In most cases, it isn't a problem. But you just want to be able to differentiate when it takes that turn, if it shifts and it becomes more serious. Because there is a very, very real difference between a bird who is out to injure and one who's just out to posture. And if you look, um, I think we've mentioned also before that we've taken a lot of footage that we have from our security camera when our boys get into these disputes and actually reviewed it in slow motion, really taking note of their body positions and what they're trying to do. And it is absolutely astonishing how often it's like fake punches. Um, those kicks are not connecting. They're either they're pulling back short or the other boy is effectively dodging them. Uh, this is just a lot of aerial maneuvers. They'll, they'll do things like leap over each other's back and not even connect. And so it really has seemed that the impact when it does happen is actually not really intentional. Um, they can miss in the same way, you know, the fake slap can connect, right? But they can absolutely miss and wind up kicking each other, but it really, it does look at the as though they go very far out of their way to actually avoid that. It's it's more about who can get closest, who can jump highest, who can dodge fastest.
0: That being said, sometimes one of those kicks does land and um, can have some pretty serious consequences for that rooster. Um, and and that's kind of where it becomes our responsibility to step in and be referee and you know maybe call that fight and and make it so that they can live to fight another day.
1: Right. Well, and you may be thinking, you know, if I'm not in a position to do that, if I'm not there all the time and they have to be left unsupervised, are they just on a clock, you know, am I just doomed to come home to tragedy one day? And no, I would not say that that's the case. Of course, the more that you can keep eyes on them and supervise these things, the better, you know, the faster you'll be able to intervene if needed. And even things like, you know, comb injuries, which can bleed a fair bit and look pretty unsightly, um, usually not terribly serious. But, you know, you can prevent a lot more of those kind of minor things if you're more present. But if you're in a situation where you have to be and they're going to be unsupervised, they're not going to have a referee, there are certainly things you can do to minimize the risk of any seriously bad outcomes. So the number one thing is always, always make sure spurs are trimmed and dulled. Um, The kicks themselves don't tend to be nearly as threatening as puncture wounds from those spurs. So whether you're keeping a bachelor flock or a mixed flock, one of the most critical safety measures is always going to be clipping just the tips of those spurs and keeping them rounded and dulled those are where most of those injuries are going to come from. Now, apart from that, things like just having sufficient space and having escape routes, um, a way that lower birds will often forfeit these contests is by retreating up off the ground. So in our flock, we often see when these disputes break out that the boy who wants to concede will go running and leap up on like the top roost of the coop or get up on one of the roosts in the run. It seems in a lot of cases like remaining on the ground is almost in and of itself a challenge, so it'll be a huge help to them to have those places to retreat to. It's going to make it easier for them to communicate what they need to, and to get out of that fight gracefully as soon as they feel like they're ready to. Um, That's going to prevent any kind of miscommunication that causes them to be locked into something they're not equipped to handle. Now, another thing that can be done is especially when these, um, these social interactions kind of first shift when you first start seeing those signs that there's been some conflict, whether it's coming home to find a comb injury or a boy who's hanging out in the coop and won't come back down, you know, anything like this, try, if at all possible, to put up some temporary safeguards, um, or if you're available, watch those interactions and really take, careful note of how they're progressing. So, If you're seeing that, for instance, one of your boys comes up and starts to give a chase to the other and he immediately runs and gets up on the coop roost and the boy who was chasing him immediately lets it go and goes back to his business, there's a pretty good chance that they're handling things fairly well. But in cases where you either can't confirm or there are some signs that they might be taking things a little bit too far, it is appropriate to put up just Again, kind of temporary separation when you can't be present. Let them have their supervised time, you know, to kind of try to hash things out and get over it. But don't necessarily just let them go at it without any direct involvement until you get a better feel on how things are going. Um, so what you don't want to do is you don't want to pull a rooster from a flock with other roosters. Um, for any more than just a very brief time. If they're going to be separated for more than, you know, I don't know, a couple of hours, you're probably going to want to set up a section of the run where they can still see each other, still be part of the flock, and not be completely removed. With hens, you often have, you know, even a few weeks before they're going to really move on and reject a removed girl from the flock with roosters. It happens incredibly fast. We're talking less than 48 hours in some cases. So something that worries me a lot is when I hear that people have set up a bachelor flock and one of these disputes breaks out because they're trying to settle into these social dynamics and they report that they pulled the other boy to his own enclosure. And it's been a few days. Um, That's the kind of situation where you may lose your ability to have them with that flock.
0: At that point, it's just going to be a brand new reintegration of a rooster that, you know, the other rooster uh, previously had a problem with.
1: Right. There's a very fine line to walk where you have to keep that familiarity consistent while still putting up those guardrails. And it also means, you know, things like injuries. If a boy gets hurt and needs treatment, if he's going to have to be indoors healing for a week, you're probably going to be looking at a completely new integration when he comes back. Um, There are sometimes ways to modify things outside to allow him to still kind of be present but it's just something that has to be handled quite a lot differently than it does with the girls in most cases
0: in those cases you know taking them out for daily supervised visits or even multiple times a day supervised visits is a huge help and will make the reintegration Um, way more successful.
1: Right, absolutely. And so, you know, it's it's not so much that there aren't things that can be done. It's just that you kind of sometimes have to get creative. And really, the more creative you can get, the more involved you can be, and the more you can tap in and kind of understand what they're trying to do and support them in doing it, the fewer problems you're going to have. So that really is with the, um, you know, conflict within rooster flocks. The really big takeaway is to always remember that just because something looks really intense to us does not mean there's necessarily any malice behind it. And in some cases, in most cases even, they're going to need to work things out in their own language. And that's sometimes going to be stressful for us. It's going to be. Uh, disconcerting to watch them do this, just because it is very different than how we handle things. But it is still something that they are going to need to work through if they're going to be a successful flock and if they're going to settle into peaceful interaction.
0: So that being said, you know, like like I said earlier, so it does get to that point where you may need to intervene to avoid any fatal injury. Um, but another incredibly important factor to consider in this is the current pecking order. Um, if you see a fight break out that you feel needs to be broken up, um, it's really important to maintain a respect for the current head rooster. Um, if that dispute did not get settled, and you know you're essentially protecting the lower rooster from getting injured, um, you don't want to pull the head rooster. You don't want to punish the head rooster for being a being a stronger rooster in that moment. Um, if anything you would pull the lower boy or you know um, separate them and and tend to him, but you definitely want to respect that current head rooster so that he can maintain, his position in the flock, so he can maintain respect from others in his flock.
1: Well, and even apart from that, um, if we have, you know, a hypothetical situation, because we've seen this come up a lot in our flock, where it may look like the head rooster is the aggressor, but again, you know, we go back and we watch footage and we see that, no, actually one of the lower boys broke a rule or stepped out of line, often in a very subtle way, and that's what prompted, you know, the head rooster to go for him or scold him or whatever he was doing. And so not only is it really hard for us as humans to understand what actually happened to set that off, you know, and that makes it very, very hard for us to correctly identify who was in the wrong. We sort of have to err on the side of caution and say, you know, maybe even if the head rooster was being a bit out of line, he's still the boss, you know, and this applies to humans, too. Sometimes our bosses at our jobs make a really questionable call or are impatient or Act a little out of line, but in most cases, we kind of still have to just go with it anyway because they are in charge. And so, what can happen if you come out and you see one of the lower boys being pursued or scolded or harassed a little bit by the head rooster is it's very easy to feel bad for them. Usually they're the gentler bird, they're the weaker bird, they may be the more timid bird, and the knee-jerk response is going to be to reprimand the stronger one. But this does two detrimental things. One, it reinforces to that head roo that he is being challenged, that he needs to worry, that there is something to fight against. And two, it emboldens that weaker boy. So if what really happened is that he kind of crowded the head roo, or he shuffle danced him, or he was supposed to walk away from the feeder when the leader walked up and he didn't, and what happens is that the head rooster gets scooped up by the giant human and taken away and he wins that is going to fuel him to continue pushing those boundaries it's going to bring up additional conflict it's going to prevent things from actually getting resolved because it's sort of an unnatural ego boost being given to that lower bird that's just going to keep that turbulence present
0: it could also cause some you know conflict um, in the relationship between you and the head rooster you know if you're good with the head rooster and he's you know feels safe around you feels comfortable with you um, and then you back up his competitor you know he could start resenting you, I I suppose, a little bit. Yeah,
1: be kind of like your spouse siding with your ex in a disagreement. (laughs) You know, it's just really going to make things a mess. And so we do, you know, whatever social order they have settled into, we really want to try to reinforce and support that. It's just not something that we have the insight to do, trying to kind of get in there and move things around and manipulate things. We just don't know what we're doing because we don't have all of the information they do, so it's not necessarily to say that the head rooster might not have been being impatient, might not have been out of line. It's just that there's too great a risk of overcomplicating things in a really bad direction. If we make the wrong call, it's really kind of just the safest response in those moments.
0: So this kind of leads me into wanting to talk about you know things that we do to intervene um, and. It varies widely. It depends on the situation. It depends on, you know, the day, how quickly I can get out there or not, um, if I'm already present or not. Um, But intervening doesn't always mean separating. Intervening sometimes just means, like I said earlier, being a referee, um, you know, causing a temporary break in, in the fight or the conflict. They may resume and, and go at it again, and you know, you let them do their thing until it gets to what you think is an unsafe point and then you intervene again, always respecting the head root a little more than the competitor. Um, but what this looks like for us most often is, you know, our presence in the run um usually Kneeling or squatting so that we're at their level and nearby ready to just throw out a hand, you know, put a hand in between the two roosters and that's often enough to sort of snap them out of it if they if they really don't want to be fighting, they'll realize that you know someone is there to you know make them see reason and and they'll let it go. Um, other times they don't want to let it go, and when you have to intervene you. You might pick up that lower boy and and set him on a perch or, you know, you might just sort of create a barrier, um, hold off the aggressor and, you know, just tell him no, tell him it's that's enough, that's enough, walk away. Um, and a lot of it really is just keeping that separation, uh, making sure that the fight doesn't continue and they will cool off you know, after a few seconds or a few minutes, uh, and then they can go about their normal business. And if it comes up again, then you can intervene again. And, you know, I've never seen any altercation that really lasted for more than like five or 10 minutes, you know, in total. And that's not a ongoing dispute or ongoing fight that lasts five or 10 minutes. It's usually a few seconds on and off, and it may come back to another short altercation within that five or 10 minute span. But they're usually back to going about their normal business um, rather quickly.
1: Well, and it's worth noting also that presence, environment, you know, all of these things can modify this too. Um, For instance, our boys manage these things very differently when we're not present than they do when we are. About the only thing actually that we typically have to run out and break up is mounting attempts, uh, particularly in the evening. But when it comes to conflict, they are sensible enough to, you know, go off and get up on that higher roost or give each other a wide berth. In most cases, um, where it gets a little tricky is when we come out and we're with them and it's clear that they kind of understand that they have a bodyguard. They're more um, gregarious. They're more willing to push those boundaries. They seem to really understand that we're not going to let things go too far and that can kind of inspire them to you know, do inappropriate things or break or bend some rules that they would normally know better than to bend.
0: Well, I think our presence also generates a little more jealousy than mm-hmm. would otherwise be present, um, which, you know, is an instigator for a lot of those conflicts.
1: Yeah, jealousy, excitement, impatience, um, snacks are always <laughs> present. So yeah, there's definitely different variables. And it's one of those things that, you know, you, you might be getting a very skewed idea of how bad that really is. Because if your presence is something they're feeling competitive about, you know, your attention, or they know that you'll help them if they kind of push things a little bit, you're going to see... A different representation of how they get along and unless you actually do have something like a security camera where you can watch what happens when you leave you're going to of course naturally assume that that is their norm but it might really not be
0: well in our case at least it definitely is not Mm -hmm. Um, they are definitely a different flock um, when we're not present versus when we are Um, they they get along fantastically throughout the day you know I I spend I would say most of my day with an eye on them uh, via the security camera and they they have their little annoyances and grievances and disagreements here and there you know I would say even maybe 10 to 20 to 30 times a day which sounds like a lot but when it's only you know a quick peck to the back of the neck and it's over it it doesn't seem like much and when you, when you balance that with hours and hours and hours of peaceful time when they're actually getting along and doing things together and hanging out together, dust bathing together or various things, it, it really goes to show that what you, the conflicts that you see that you happen to catch are just a, such a minority compared to the rest of the day. Um, so definitely just try not to judge too harshly don't put too much weight on the things you do catch unless you are seeing it all the time.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I really would encourage anyone who is in a position to do so, to put a security camera out there on them. You would just be so astonished by these differences. Um, There's been so many things that we would never have guessed they did, that we would never have been aware of if we didn't have it, because it really does. It does influence their behavior so much having us present. Um, We went through a period which has actually calmed down fair bit, um, where Maelstrom and Daisy were feeling particularly jealous over my attention, likely because I had always been focused more on Daisy during visits, because he's our lowest boy and he often gets excluded. And I had just started making a point to give Maelstrom more uh, one-on-one attention. So Maelstrom was in a position of being very frustrated when Daisy tried to squeeze in, and Daisy was in a position of feeling like his mama had been stolen. Heh. <laughs> And no joke, when we were out there, if they got within a foot of each other, they were both flaring and we were having to physically restrain them. But the moment we went back inside, we'd look at the camera and they are engaging perfectly peacefully, pecking at treats together, may preening daisies, feathers, like, like completely different birds. And so if you looked at them on the security camera, you would easily say, oh yeah, those roosters get along great. If you looked at them while we're out at visits, you would think that they were going to murder each other the minute we walked away. Um, it can be really a radical change
0: yeah, security camera has definitely proven to be maybe the most valuable tool we have um the the best use of money we have spent so far um and it, it's it goes so far beyond the entertainment that we we get out of it, you know recording video or just seeing live what's happening their their personalities their behaviors their mannerisms um but as a tool seeing what's going on so that we can better make decisions for their care. Um, oh my gosh it's just invaluable
1: yeah it tells us how they really feel about each other what they're really prioritizing focused on where they all fall you know with each other Um, we would never have known that Maelstrom and Ginger are incredibly bonded if we didn't have the security camera they're too focused on us really to show that but the amount of time they just spend together and the way Maelstrom follows Ginger everywhere he goes throughout the run during the day um, is just incredibly heartwarming and it makes it a lot easier for us to not panic and not take it too seriously when they get into their own little disagreements because every now and again they'll give a kick at each other over something. Um, But we know that they're incredibly bonded. We know they adore each other and that they would never in a million years try to hurt each other out of spite. Um, It just wouldn't happen. So it provides uh, the big picture in a really helpful way that really lets you evaluate those strange things that come up and determine how serious they really are. Yeah,
0: you, know, you know, you know, I realize that not everyone is going to be able to watch a security camera twelve hours a day, um, but even if even if you have it set up, even if you randomly choose to record a clip, you know, a fifteen minute or thirty minute, or if, even an hour, if you can. not um, and, and play it back when you have the time and see how they're interacting. That's so, so helpful. Um, even if you can't keep eyes on them all day long. Um, you know, we are fortunate enough to work from home and be able to keep that up on our monitor at all times. Um, but I know that that does not apply to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even like I said, just a, a 15 minute clip really gives you a lot of insight into their normal behavior and the bonds they have with each other.
1: It does and it's actually occurring to me just as I'm thinking of it now that it also gives you a really good opportunity to get a heads up on those days where they are feeling abnormally impatient or there's some problem that they might respond to by being um, a little bit less gentle and a little bit less tolerant of their flock members. When you know their norms and you can tell where they're at, you know, in their mind, in their day, it can give you a really important heads up that they're not gonna be as in control of themselves as usual. And that can kind of empower you to make different decisions. daisy in particular it's very clear when he's very on edge it's very clear when he's kind of out of control and he's just not thinking through his actions he has particular movements that he makes the way that he runs will tell us if he's feeling very frantic and he's not really fully in control he'll make certain sounds um, it's it's kind of like, you know, for any parents listening that I'm sure you can tell when your kids are feeling very hyper, very wound up or there's a storm coming in and they're acting out and you can just feel. Feel that tension in their mannerisms, their voice, their activities. It's really very similar. And in the same way that you're going to kind of brace yourself for maybe difficult behavior later in the day with kids when that comes up, you can kind of brace for more difficult behavior with the roosters too when you see those kinds of cues. So I guess, you know, in a way, what we're saying is really just know your flock um, to the best of your ability. So that's always really probably going to be the most critical factor that's going to help you identify where they're coming from.
0: And know that this, this does apply to mixed flocks as well. We, you know, obviously can only speak to our experience and our experiences with our bachelor flock, but um, having spoken to so many other people, it does apply to the mixed flocks as well. And if you can get a camera on your mixed flocks behavior, um, it's going to empower you and give you that insight uh, just the same.
1: Right. So really, um, at the end of the day, we want to broaden our perspectives. We want to think very carefully about motives, about emotional states that fluctuate. So instead of being in this mindset where if we see anything that looks a little bit rough or a little bit angry on their part of jumping right to that kind of broad brush explanation of just he's a rooster, he must be out to kill. We want to broaden that mindset. We want to accommodate their changing moods, their different goals, the fact that they communicate differently than we do and bigger than we do in many cases, and really make space for the individual. See them as that unique bird that we have in our flock with his own motives, his own goals, his own ways of expressing himself, instead of falling into that, you know, kind of categorical box of roosters and what society has for so long uh, stripped them down to.
0: So if there has been peace in your flock for any length of time and, you know, a fight breaks out or there's a, an attempt at a pecking order change up, um, you know, it's safer to assume that peace can be found again. Um, going back to the beginning of this episode, one of the places where you might see true aggression and intent to kill is when they encounter a new rooster. Um, an, a stranger to the flock who, you know, they don't want taking over or taking over their girls. And sometimes we, we need to integrate a new bird into the flock. Um, and so this is, I think, a good transition to talk about, um, integrating whether it's a rooster or a couple new roosters or even new hens for that matter. Um, there are some important factors that you should consider when doing so.
1: Definitely. And so all of the stuff that we talked about as far as evaluating the types of conflict we see previously are going to apply here too, but there is that really important additional element here of lack of familiarity, and that is going to warp, you know, those interactions some, and it's going to put them more in a mindset where they are going to be less accepting. Um, But of course, again, there are things that we can usually do about this, Um, particularly when integrating roosters to flocks with existing Existing roosters, it's really, really critical to have a backup plan because, on rare occasion, they just won't be accepted. Um, but this goes for hens too. So, oh. this isn't a rooster specific kind of concern.
0: You know, on that note, you know, a lot of times the rejection can happen because only one bird is being integrated. Um, and that's why it's important to, if possible, never only integrate one new bird. You want to integrate in pairs or more. Um, so that that new bird has a teammate or someone that they get along with that can give them backup or provide them comfort and friendship while they're going through right. that integration process.
1: Or a go-between. You know, so if you, for some reason, find yourself needing to add one additional rooster, try, if at all possible, to bring in some new hens with him uh, for that kind of meet-and-greet period. Let him get used to them, bond with them, and add them as kind of their own micro-flock. That would not only help him to not feel such a need to claim the other boys' existing girls, but would also, you know, greatly help him to feel like he's got his own Own thing going on. Um, If for whatever reason you can't bring in more hens it's sometimes possible to take some of the girls who are not the current rooster's favorite and sort of again facilitate that division, you know, encourage him to go ahead and bond with those girls without any competition present and then see if maybe they can stay um, content with that set up as they get joined into a single larger flock. Um, but it is always going to be critical. You know, the more outnumbered the new birds are by the existing flock, the harder things are going to be, and that goes for hens or roosters. You really want to try to have them on equal footing as much as possible, but never one, really never one. <laughs> it's always going to be difficult.
0: Another important factor, no matter how many birds you are trying to integrate, um, is a separation during that period of building familiarity. You know, you don't want to just have the newcomers have free access to the established flock uh, and vice versa. There, There needs to be a barrier so they cannot harm each other, so they can, you know, get to know each other through, you know, hardware cloth or fencing. Um look but don't touch Um, whether it's hens or roosters or both um, you really don't want to jump straight to you know leaving them in the coop overnight and letting them wake up together like that alone is not enough to ease them into that that transition that integration you really want to give them several days of supervised visits um, where they do have that barrier in between and then when things go well, if things go well during that time, then maybe you can do that final integration, you know, leaving them in overnight and let them wake up together. But even so, what we found, at least with our our hen integration, was that um, we did the daily visits with separation. And then we did supervised visits with them having access to each other. um, And then they still came back to their quarantine coop. And then we did the same thing where we eased them into their time together without that barrier.
1: Right. So gradual easing of boundaries and, you know, really what it comes down to, you know, the, the whole idea of putting them into the coop overnight, um, I would make the claim, I would argue, that in the cases where that does work, it would have worked equally well putting them in the brand together. What's going on there isn't that there's some, you know, wool being pulled over their eyes by adding them after dark, and they just think they've been there forever the next morning. Um, That's sort of what that suggestion is based on, is the idea that they'll just not take note of this newcomer. If they wake up and find them there, they'll just go, oh. Guess I forgot a flock member all this time. Um, It's really sort of ridiculous, and what can easily happen is that they wake up and they recognize, of course, that intruder, and now that new bird is outnumbered and penned and trapped and getting attacked, so not a good situation. It's definitely better to take it slower. But the things that are gonna be supportive in that is, again, always trying to think about what their concerns are, what their perspective on these things is, and watching very closely to evaluate those interactions. So we have not integrated new roosters into our rooster flock, so all we can give um, as far as the rooster specifics on that is the general guidelines, safety measures, and best practices that we're aware of. Um, But when it comes to just integration in general, having that period where they can see but not actually access each other is the best starting point once you finish quarantine. I prefer I think to put them in an adjacent area rather than something like a kennel inside the run where they're basically trapped and surrounded, that can have some really negative social impacts um, by making them appear very vulnerable and adding to the stress of not only them, but the flock in general. So adjacent pens, if at all possible, even if it's a fairly temporary structure or just partitioning off part of the run to make an adjacent larger space would be a really good thing. You really want them to be interacting very normally in their own separate groups, side by side, and all of them seeing that nothing bad comes of this. Something we did in between the uh, look-don't-touch period and letting them be at all in the same run with our new girls is we made sure every day when we brought treats that we ran a line of treats along either side of the shared fence so that they wound up having those snacks basically just head-to-head right there at the fence and the reason for this was because that's probably one of the most competitive times for chickens is when good food is present. So we didn't want to base our decision to merge them on very easy situations, and then have horrible fights break out during those harder ones. We wanted to make that decision based on the situation that would be most likely to create conflict, and we waited until we saw that there was no sassiness, no attempts to compete or run off during those times and so then the very first day that we let them be together and we would definitely recommend this for any integration we purposefully scheduled that to be on a day where we were off work and free all day and we literally took shifts being out there with them all day long from the time they woke and went out to the time they went to roost um In our situation, there was absolutely no conflict, no disputes. They did great, but we didn't want to risk coming out to a bloodbath. So it was just worth, you know, making that bit of extra time to really make sure that nothing would get past us.
0: Well, let me just throw in there. There weren't no conflicts, no disputes, because one of the new girls, one of the newcomers, um, actually did take over as head hen over our existing hen, Midnight. Um, Sunshine did come in and um, assert her dominance mm-hmm. and give a little sass and attitude and put Midnight in her place a few times. It was nothing ever, you know, very violent or anything, but Midnight decided that she didn't want to get pecked in the neck over, you know, a couple mm-hmm. treats. Um, she would rather take the number two spot and she was fine with that.
1: Yeah. So no conflict being like no newcomer intruder you know type conflict actually that first day they pretty much just kept to opposite sides of the run in their own little groups with the exception of our girl lotus who made Mm -hmm. a point to go back and forth between the two all day long like she just couldn't make up her mind she just wanted to be friends with everyone um she's a little bit of an odd case but following that um You know, as you mentioned, we did go ahead and put them back in their normal coops that first night. Now, you would think after an entire day of getting along well, they would have been perfectly in the clear to sleep in the coop together. And in a way, they probably would have been. But the reason for that decision was because it's a lot. It's a lot adjusting to a new environment, having access to new people and being accessed by new people. Um, So they had had a pretty overwhelming day and we didn't want to put too much on them all at once. For our existing flock members, it's hard enough having to suddenly share their things and their food and their water and their space and their treats with newcomers. Um, We felt like it would be psychologically helpful for them to feel like they at least got their calm, private space to sleep back at the end of the day, and good for our new girls to go back to where they were comfortable and knew they were safe and were familiar with that night. So we did a few days, uh, maybe, I don't know, three or four days uh, where they went out and they shared the run all day long. Um, After that first day, we just kind of popped out regularly to check and make sure they were doing okay, and they were. Um, But we let them share the run all day, and then as the sun started to set, we would take the new girls back to their familiar coop in the garage, and we'd let our girls get a bit of a breather um, by themselves, how they were used to in their coop. And then, yeah, after about... Three or four days, we went ahead and let them all stay. But by that point, they had gotten more comfortable with each other. And the new girls had also gotten an opportunity to adjust to the new coop and go in there to, you know, dig around or get up on the roost and explore and see that it was safe. So it wasn't such a system shock for them either. And I really do think that one reason that that went as well as it did and they were able to be integrated as peacefully, you know, as they were, is the fact that we've made time for those little transitions. We gave them kind of those concessions of not dumping too much on them all at once and easing them into things in a way that specifically accounted for what their discomfort and concerns about the situation would be.
0: Definitely. I think it's worth mentioning perhaps that, you know, after spending so much time observing both of our flocks, um, there are just so many similarities between the two that I feel pretty confident in in saying that a an integration um, of a couple roosters into an existing bachelor flock would go just as well um, following those same guidelines and, and for those same reasons. Um, if you're, Just patient and, you know, put the time in and give them the opportunity to take as much time as they need to be comfortable with it. Um, they're almost certainly going to wind up being okay with it.
1: Right. A lot of the same things apply. You know, the main difference is just that probably for the hens, the biggest worry is that they're, you know, infringing on their treats and food and, you know, favorite dust bathing spots maybe. And for the boys, of course, there is that drive to defend and protect. So they might need a little bit longer to see that that new boy is not competing for their hens. He isn't jeopardizing anything. And there are, of course, going to be those... um Issues with settling the pecking order When they first get in there Typically it seems that when hens are added Because they're new They're going to sort of just naturally Default to those lower positions At first, which is probably why It goes a little more peacefully But even if the new boy you're adding Doesn't want any part of being head roo, your head roo Is still going to feel like he needs to Reinforce that he is And so it is not at all Uncommon for there to be these tiffs and these conflicts at first. And it's also not uncommon for there to be no fights, just avoidance for maybe the first, you know, five days, week or so, and then fights to break out. And this confuses a lot of keepers, too, because it looks like something changed. Like, while well, they were getting along great, and now they hate each other. Um, it's really not that. What it is is that they can only really handle so much at a time. Those lower boys um, and the newcomers are probably going to be pretty avoidant at first. They are not feeling secure or comfortable or confident enough to even attempt to engage, you know, not just with the flock, but often with keepers. We hear this a lot too, where a new rooster will be brought home and he's perfectly well-behaved and tolerant and calm, seemingly calm for about the first week, and then he starts attacking. Um, it's really more about settling in and being comfortable enough to engage. So there is going to be a bit of lag sometimes there that you should be aware of, that things might look like they're going great for four or five days, and then things can seem like they take a turn. So just be watching carefully. I would say, you know, the first two or three weeks in particular, um, know that whatever you're seeing may not really be set in stone yet. And it might be that he's busy trying to adjust to the new environment, the new schedule, the new surroundings, all of that, and needs to do that before he can really focus on the social side of things. But one other critical difference, actually, with roosters is the fact that they are more inclined to hash things out by actually fighting. With the hens, when they want to reinforce status, they might, you know, grab wings with their beak or peck on the back of the neck or the head or give a brief chase. But they're not really going into full exchanging of blows the way roosters do and this just poses a couple of specific safety concerns when it comes to integrating them because they may attempt to do things like kick each other through the fence um, and this can easily result in toe injuries, leg injuries, spur injuries, if there's any way that those body parts can get caught in that fencing. So you just want to be really careful that if whatever you've got is a wide enough gap that they could reach through and, you know, bite each other on the comb, waddles, get a leg trapped, get a toe caught, anything like this, you're going to want to put some kind of a narrower material to prevent that possibility. It's also worth noting that it is not at all uncommon for roosters to be more inclined to fight when one of them is separated like that. And it's really mostly down to the fact that they know that there's really no danger of consequences if they engage. They know that other boy can't really fight back and they know that there's kind of no risk of injury (laughs) to either one of them. So what can happen is that there's kind of this artificially inflated level of disagreement between the two of them, and once they actually can access each other, the amount of conflict actually reduces because now they do have real-world consequences that they have to consider. So, again, it's one of those situations where you don't really want to assume too much. You do want to monitor closely how they're interacting during that look-don't-touch period, but just know that it might be getting exaggerated a bit and that it's not necessarily exactly what you should expect once they do get released into the same area. And I suppose the last um, <clears throat> rooster integration specific tip would be, if possible, do that integration first in a more neutral area, um, because they're going to respond more Uh, Willingly, they're going to be more accepting of that new bird if he's not in their dedicated space. So, you know, for instance, if your flock free ranges and there's an area of the yard that they just kind of ignore, they don't really go over there as much, it's not their favorite, maybe try letting them actually meet there. Um, it's possible to set up things like, you know, kind of a temporary uh, space that they could kind of try to meet. You want to not have the new boy getting, you know, say run off into the woods or something. Um, So it's important to make sure that you're going to be able to keep some level of control over that interaction. But as much as possible, try to not just recognize, but also respect the places that are special to them, the places that are important for them to keep close claim over, um, and just kind of how much they can handle all at once. The more that we can put our focus on making things easier for all of them involved rather than just quicker for us, the better it's going to go in all cases.
0: Definitely. I don't know why, but I get the feeling that we've probably left some things out um, that will occur to us later, but if you have any questions, as always, do send us an email or leave it in the comments below, and we'll be happy to give more detail.
1: Right, and another thing actually that we could mention, because obviously, you know, evaluating these conflicts is not just nuanced and tricky, but holds a pretty uh, hefty potential consequence if you get it wrong. Um, so it's it's the sort of thing that you are going to develop a feel for and comfort with over time as you see more and more of these interactions. If at any point you feel like you would like some help evaluating what's going on and whether you should be concerned, whether they should be separated, I strongly encourage anyone listening, um, bring a helper out there, you know, as you go, maybe even just to break that up. Have someone come with and be filming. Try to get some footage of what exactly is going on and what you're seeing because a lot of times whether to worry or not comes down to some very subtle body language. We'd always be happy to look that over and try to help evaluate and sort of advise more specifically on exactly what you're dealing with. Um, You don't obviously want to stand there and just film if they may be in danger of injury, but if these are pretty mild disputes that you're just not sure which direction it's heading or if you're going to have to split it up, you know you can maybe have somebody else present to be recording as you do so it's always going to be safe to separate them to temporary areas where they're still visible while you look for additional confirmation of what to do next just be very careful not to pull them completely you know for multiple days have something like a kennel that can be kept you know by the run for a short time during the day toss us an email with that footage and we'll always be happy to weigh in and kind of provide some confirmation and some direction because I know this stuff can look really scary and I know it can be really hard to feel confident that you're making the right call. Um, It's kind of the biggest tightrope to walk when it comes to keeping multiple roosters, I think.
0: And just to mention again, this is where a security camera comes in really handy um, they can be had for very low prices, they're very affordable these days, and it's super convenient and easy to hit record before you're even out of the house. Um, you you know, hit record and then you're on your way to break it up, and it can be um, getting that clip that you can send to us or, you know, the Rooster Allies group and um, ask yeah. for input on.
1: And your hands are free and it's Mm -hmm. just being taken care of for you. Um, So we will go ahead and put a link to the group in the description as well as our email address. And of course, you know, you're always free to reach out, not just with questions about flock conflict, but anything you might find yourself needing help with. We're always here and we'll always be happy to um, give any support and advice we possibly can.
0: I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you once again for listening and we do hope you'll join us again next week. Take care.